Let me lead us in prayer. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, that you speak to us in the Bible by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that right now you're talking to us and we ask that you would help us to be listening so that we'd know you better and ourselves as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's the right thing to do? It's a question we ask ourselves all the time, isn't it? Like whether we give money to the charity that's knocking at your door. What's the right thing to do? Or how do you reply to that narky email that you've received? What's the right thing to do? <laughs> Don't hit reply. That's just the... <laughs> I'll let you know that one right now. <laughs> or when you're doing your tax and you've got that receipt, you're not really sure, do you claim it or not? What's the right thing to do? might be a bigger choice than that in life. Like, will you or should you marry the person that you're dating at the moment? Is he or she the one? And what training or career should you pursue? Or should you buy a house? Or is it time to retire? Throughout life, we ask ourselves, what's the right thing to do? It's actually part of a bigger area of thinking called ethics. Uh, It happens to be the name that's given to the course that's also taught in competition to scripture teaching in our school. So sometimes we think the word ethics is all, you know, that's not scripture. Uh, But ethics is actually a really positive thing because it's a topic that really just helps us understand what is right or wrong. There's Christian ethics, there's atheistic ethics, there's other kinds of ethics as well. It's all about working out the answer to this question. What's the right thing to do? Well, sometimes it's simple. Is it wrong to murder a person who makes you angry? Uh, Yes, it is wrong. I think that's a pretty simple one. I don't think you're surprised by my answer. But what about using a vaccine that was somehow derived from an aborted fetus? Is that right? Is that wrong? Is there a possible right to it? If you'd like to know what I think about that, you could ask me a question for next week. I might answer it then, but I'm not going to tell you now. But I might give you a few little tips and clues along the way. See, working out what is the right thing to do is not always easy. And so some Christians have come up with a bit of a tool to help make these decisions. And they ask themselves, what would Jesus do? WWJD. There's a whole line of merchandise that you can get. WWJD bracelets and uh, Bible covers and stubby holders. Well, maybe not stubby holders, but there's a whole lot of stuff that you can get that's WWJD, all this stuff. And it's a pretty handy way of working out what is the right thing to do. And it's pretty simple. All you've got to do is try and imagine what Jesus would do in the same situation you're in. And so if you're tempted to drive along at Swamp Road at 110 kilometres an hour, then you think, oh, WWJD, I should slow down to 80. Okay, good work. Or you're tempted to swear or slander somebody and you're about to unload all this stuff out of your mouth and you're just about to say it and then you look down at your mobile phone cover that says WWJD and you say, oh, that was lucky. I'm not going to say it anymore. Or maybe you stumble across a link to a pornographic image and you think, 
WWJD, and you don't click. In many situations, it's a very handy little tool. And as we get to the end of the Bible passage in Ephesians 5, in particular verses 1 and 2, we'll see that WWJD, question mark, it has legs. It is an important way of us thinking about life and thinking about what it is that we should do. But unfortunately, WWJD, question mark, doesn't always work. And that's because it often relies us on imagining how Jesus would act if he was in our own personal situation. We've got to try and imagine, what would Jesus do if he was in our own shoes? If he was in your shoes? So would he be a school teacher or a builder or a minister? Would he choose to buy an electric car? Would he eat meat or not? Would he prefer hymns with a pipe organ? Would he wear a mask when he goes to Freddo's? Would he want us to open up a church preschool? Would he support the Rabbitohs? <laughs> now that's controversial, by the said. Can you see that WWJD is not an all-purpose tool that fixes every single possible dilemma in life? Uh, we can't use it for every decision because we don't know what Jesus would do in every single situation. But we do know what he would do in a lot of situations, and that's because we know without any doubt what he said in the Bible. And we know what his apostles have said in his word as well. So whilst WWJD is good... Maybe WDJS could be a little bit better. What does Jesus say? Because we can know that for sure. And he doesn't say anything about what sporting team to follow, I'm sorry. But we, the thing is, we do know for sure what Jesus said and what the Bible says. And so we've actually got a very accurate and a reliable tool that works really well for most ethical choices. And today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to chapter 5, verse 2, we're going to get some very clear instructions about what it is that we should do when it comes to working out what is right. Let me start by reading these verses to you now. It's on the screen. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, 
He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So what are the main areas of Christian living that this Bible passage talks about? Yell some of them out. What are some of the things that it talked about? See if you can remember some. What were some of them? Speech. Speech. What else? Anger. Anger. Generosity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slander. Stealing. Stealing. Kindness, forgiveness. These are the kind of things. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Very, very practical, isn't it? Lots of things about how it is to live as a Christian person. But it's important, again, that you realise that this is a to-do list for forgiven friends of Jesus. Some people like to have a to-do list and think, great, tell me what to tick. One, two, yep, done that, done that, done that, done that. Then Jesus will love me. Then Jesus will forgive me. So when he says to me, why should I let you into my heaven? He said, well, way back then on the 24th of October in 2020, uh, Jody gave a list of all these things, and I've done a pretty good job of them. Please let me into your heaven. Uh, That's... A bad idea. I was going to say something. It was dumb. No, it's not a good idea. Don't do that. It's not going to work because you're dead and you need to come alive. We read last week and we kept reading it again and again, Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. But now that you are saved, if indeed you are, Now that you are holy, here's how to live. This is what we're getting at here. And it starts with chapter 4, verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we're all part of the same body. What's the first word of the first verse of the passage for today? It's the word so. Say it with me. So. So. So what? Well, it's important because it links in with what just came before it, which was, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, stop telling lies. The so is a connection there. It links in there. It links in to the fact that we need to have this new life that is holy, that is righteous. We're putting on this new nature. Remember what I said last week about when the fireys go out and they go around some stuff that's hazard material, they've got to take off the old uniform that's all polluted and chuck it in a bag and burn it or whatever they do and put on a new one. That is what we see here. We take off the polluted outfit, we put on the new one. We're putting on our new nature and this is what it looks like. And it starts off with so or, or, or literally therefore. And the first is it says we must handle the truth honestly. Handle the truth honestly. Firstly, it says negatively. It says, stop telling lies. Don't tell lies. It's not a Christian thing to do. Why? Because God is a person of his word, and we are people of God, and so we should be people of our word as well. Ever thought what it would be like if we ever found out that just once in the whole of history that God lied? Just one little tiny lie. Not a huge lie, but just a little tiny lie. Then what would that make you feel about God and his word? You'd go, 
Ooh, that's not good. I, I hope it would send you into an absolute spin. I think a chaos. The, the whole universe may well, in fact, collapse. If God says something and it's like, oh, God had his fingers crossed behind his back or kind of like, oh, well, that was just a sort of a little bit of a, a white lie. No. The point is that we need to be like God in that. We need our word to be our very heart. And it says here we need to stop telling lies. Uh, there's, assumption, there's an assumption that we all lie. Uh, you might be able to say, well, I've never lied. Um, I'm not so sure that would be the case. I, I might be able to ask somebody you live with or someone who knows you or a school teacher or an employer or employee or someone like that. We know the power of a lie and we know how handy they are because when we're busted for something, we can kind of slip out this little lie and it gets us out of trouble, well, at least for the time being. But the problem is we need to be caught out just once and our reputation's in tatters. Someone says, oh, no, really, really, really. It's like, oh, really? You mean really, really, really like last time when you said really, really, really? How do I believe you? And your whole world's in a spin. But there's also a positive side. We need to positively, we need to tell the truth. We need to be people who love the truth. We need to have a word that is reliable. Why is it that we need to be having these reliable words? It's because we're all part of the one body. We're all part of Team Jesus. And when we don't have truth, we don't have unity. We stop being unified when we don't say the full truth. If you're tempted to tell a lie, don't. Jesus says don't. It's not like it's a situation where you think, well, how do I feel at this stage? It's like, what would Jesus say? Don't. That's simple. Because then the whole community will be damaged if you do. And when that happens, the next problem can occur. 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. The next instruction is all about anger. What do you expect to hear about anger? I think I'd expect God to say, don't be angry. You know, don't lie, don't be angry. But it's not what he says. He actually says, don't let that anger control you. Don't let anger control you. Or as other translations say it just a little bit more literally, in your anger do not sin. See, there's a kind of anger that does not lead to sin, which means it's actually okay to be angry as long as it doesn't cause you to sin. You might find it hard to work out how you can do that. Well, God does. We know that God is angry. And yet in his anger he does not sin. And it is right for us at times to be angry. The kind of anger that we should have when we read news reports like what was on the news yesterday about horrible acts of child abuse and things that were filmed and then they made money out of it. You think, if that doesn't make you angry, then just check your pulse. It is right to have an anger. But the anger should not make you sin. It should motivate us to protect those in harm, prosecute the offenders, pray for healing and justice, but not to sin. But sometimes we have anger for all sorts of reasons, and sometimes it's because we've got an anger problem. Maybe you're angry at your boss, or angry at your spouse, or angry at your child, or angry at yourself. And God is saying very clearly, don't let that anger control you. Don't do it. Stop it. Fix it. 
And here's an important principle, 26b. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Uh, What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like, get it sorted before you knock off for the day. That's sort of what it, you know, because the sun would go down and then you'd go home to the end of, and, and have dinner with the family or whatever it is. By the time the working day's over, you should have gone from angry to not angry if you've got that anger there. And I think the principle behind that is that you can control your anger and you should control your anger. It should not be something that controls you, that leads you to sin. You must control your anger. Because I think that God would not say, don't let the sun go down until you've sorted your anger out thing, if you were not able to sort out your anger. Because it says you are. So control it. And if you can't, then you've got a problem and your anger is needing you to sin. No one is perfect. I'm a sinner. I can tell you all my sins and I don't want to tell you them all. But they're there. Maybe anger is one of the things that you particularly have a problem with that does actually regularly cause you to sin. And that if that is you, take a step to fix it. Share it with somebody that you trust. Maybe you need to speak to someone, maybe a counsellor. Maybe you need to particularly be praying to the Lord that he would help you in that particular area. Well, next we read about another important aspect of the Christian life. Verse 27. Oh, actually, before we, hang on, I've skipped something in my notes. I wanted to say this thing. I'm not going to skip this bit over. Why? Verse 27. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Okay, this is a reason why not to have anger, right? Uh, It's interesting, isn't it? His thing, the devil's thing, is that he tries to undermine Christians. He actually wants to smash up the body of Christ. He, he wants to do that even though his power is completely undermined by the victory of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We'll hear a whole lot more about the power of the devil and what he does and stuff when we get to chapter 6. But the point is that when we have anger that leads to sin, it gives Satan a foothold. It gives him a power to get in. It's kind of like a crack that he can sort of split open in our fellowship. So don't. All right, now I'm back on my notes. 28. Next one. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Why would Christians be thieves? Well, of course we're not thieves. We are actually people who respect other people's property. So much of who we are as a nation that is linked in with the Bible. Because you can sort of see a world in which it might be good for you to nick other people's stuff if it's good for you. And if they're not keeping a hold of it, they don't lock their doors, well, why don't you take it? be like a, a game of game of football they've got the ball and then you take it off them and you that's what that's the aim of the game is to take the ball off them and have it for yourself the aim is to to nick their iphone or whatever and take it for yourself you know maybe that's how it works bottom line is don't steal other people's stuff don't steal someone else's stuff it's pretty obvious you probably haven't smashed into someone's house and stolen their dvd player Probably you wouldn't want to because they're not worth anything anymore. <laughs> they used to be a long time ago. But I reckon the kind of theft we're more likely to be involved with is intellectual theft. You know what it's like? It's downloading stuff we don't own, whether it's music or videos or books or software or whatever. And if that's you, don't steal. Quit it. Stop it. If you've got, a work, if you've got stuff on your hard disk that you don't own, go and delete it. That's what God's saying. He's not sort of like, think about deleting. It's like, get rid of it. 
But not only does he say in the negative, don't steal, don't be a thief, he says, verse 28, instead, use your hands for good, hard work. Use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. It's kind of like, don't use your hands to nick stuff. (laughs) Use your hands to do good stuff and give to others in need. Uh, you know, you might, you might think that it's a burden to have to give your hard-earned money away to others. You, you might actually think it's, it's a bit unfair, God, because you've given me the skills to work with my hands, to build stuff, to type stuff, to do whatever I do with my stuff. And so that is what I have got. And why should I have to give it away to anybody else? You know, it's mine. You know, you, you consider a sanctity of personal property, which I take it's behind here. Lord, why should I have to give it away to anybody else? Well, I think it's because that it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus actually said. Now, where do we get that from in the Bible? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Did Jesus say it in one of the four Gospels? No. He actually, it's actually quoted by the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And here's a fun fact. Who is he speaking to in the book of Acts? He's speaking to the elders from Ephesus. There you go. So I wonder whether or not, oh, I hadn't made this connection before this week. I thought, oh, there you go. Maybe right behind what he's saying, hey, give generously to others in need, he's like, kind of like I'd already told you guys, it is better to, more blessed to give than to receive. You know, friends, it is a joy to give. It's a joy to give. I remember going to a seminar that was about giving at one stage and said, do you realize that when you ask people to give, you're actually helping them to do something that is joyful, you know, something that, it, that gives them a blessing? I thought, yeah, funny that. I hadn't thought of it that way. I thought they'd say, oh, not another talk on giving. But it's actually blessed to give. And I know I've been blessed as I've given, and I know you've been blessed as you've given as well. And I think one of the reasons we're blessed is that when you give stuff away, it doesn't have a right over you anymore. It's no longer an idol if you just give it away. You see these people who, who have um, some of the sort of the Netflix shows where they give away absolutely everything in their life to be totally minimalist. I mean, it's almost a religion in its own, isn't it? But, but you can say, there's something nice about only having 30 possessions in my entire life. There's something simple about that. It doesn't own me. You know, I've just got two shirts, one black shirt and another black shirt, and I just rotate them day after day. It's simple. Nothing owns me. Are they joyful? I don't know. But it's joyful not to be owned by stuff, isn't it? Give it away. Next one, 29A, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't say rude stuff. And don't abuse others. Sticks and stones will break my, do- my bones, but words never hurt me. Rubbish. Words do hurt. We know that. I've been hurt by words. I'm sure you've been hurt by words. You've probably hurt others by words. I know that I've hurt others by words. Someone's having a go at me and I go, out it comes. I think, ooh, didn't come out the right way, did it? It actually did come out the way I'd intended. But I realise how ballistic it is when you say that sort of comeback. I reckon it is harder for some people to not swear than it is for others. Uh, if you spend time at work in a, a, around people who are swearing a lot or in a club or in a playground with people or whatever, 
It's difficult to not use those same words. When I was studying full-time at Moore College with all of these ministers in training, I've got to say, it wasn't that tempting to slip in an F-bomb or an S-bomb or something like that. Because most ministers don't hang around swearing all the time. I don't know if you've noticed that before, right? But in certain contexts, like when I go training with a particular organisation that tries to put wet stuff on hot stuff, from time to time, people will say a word or two that may not be heard over morning tea at church. And have you noticed what it's like when you're having a conversation with somebody and you want to be liked by them? You'll start modelling yourself physically on them. So, so they, they're standing like this and you, you do the same thing. And then they put their hands down and then you put your hands down. You start to, to kind of mirror them as a way of, of showing that you're connected to them, you know, or whatever it is. Like. I think we do that with our speech. So I'm hanging around somebody who's this is I want them to think, hey, Jody's not some sort of prude who doesn't approve of me. So I'm thinking maybe if I drop a couple of bombs as well, then they'll think, oh, he likes me. And so I've got that temptation to do that. I'm sure you have that temptation, whether it's the playground, whether it's the workplace, whether it's the staff room, whether it's your family, whether it's your parents, whatever it is. That is a temptation. What's God saying? What's he saying to me? What's he saying to you? Don't use foul language. Don't use abusive language. And we see here, don't harm others with your words because that's what we can do. So it is. But rather than just saying don't, there's a positive alternative. Verse 29, he says, Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. We should be aiming for words that are encouraging. Or literally, the language, the original language says, for building. Have we talked about building at all in Ephesians? Quite a bit. That's literally what it's saying here. It's for building. It's for building up. It's for for encouraging in that sense. We know how powerful words are. All those nice ways we can encourage somebody. You know what it's like when someone says something to you that's not just, hi, it's nice to see you, or hope you're having a nice week. But when they go out of their way and they might write it down in a card, a handwritten card, or, or they say something to you, I just, I just wanted to say to you, I really appreciate the way that you are so good at listening and the way that you, you love to encourage me and you just say nice little things that, that help me know that you're praying for me. Or whatever those, when someone says that to you, what does it do? It makes you feel about, about six inches taller or, you know, or 15 centimetres. You, know, you, kind of, um, you feel like, oh, I, I feel like you love me, you care for me. How much more the opposite, of course. But we're not on the opposite, we're on the positive. Be encouraging, be helpful. Use your words that way. If you accidentally recorded your entire day and all your speech, uh, maybe you, you flicked a setting on Facebook and it streamed your entire day and you didn't know it, uh, would you be thinking, oh, maybe you shouldn't have said that? Or maybe I thought I was just speaking it to one person, not to a few billion people on Facebook. Ooh, that's awkward. If that's the case, then stop it. I'm, I'm hearing this. I hope you're hearing it too. Because look at this, verse 30. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. When we sin... From our anger, 
or when we steal or when we swear or when we abuse others, it actually makes God sad. Notice that? Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Grieving him. God gets sad when we live badly. Uh, Lionel Windsor in his awesome blog on Ephesians uh, connects here Isaiah 63.10. It's a story about God's people leaving Egypt at the Exodus and how they then grumbled and how they had a rebellion against him. And it says that it grieved his Holy Spirit, that it caused him, his Holy Spirit, to be sad. When we don't live the life that God's called us to, it makes him sad. It hurts other people, but it hurts God. And I wonder if you think about it that way when you sin. It's not like God's just kind of this impassive police officer up saying there, you know, well, I don't really care whether you speed or not, but I'm a highway patrol person, so I've got to book you when you're over the speed limit. It's just my job. It's a lot more like someone who actually owns the thing you've stolen or, or someone who's, who's been who's watched their children bullied and their anger when they see someone bullying their kids. That that is the anger that God feels. That is the the hurt that he feels. He gets sad when we live badly. And so we need to make a radical cut with the past. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and all kinds of evil behaviour. Yeah, but God, I can't get rid of it all. I've been a Christian a long time. I haven't got rid of it all yet. Should I give up? Jody, don't give up. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. But I tried. Jody, keep trying. Because when you're angry, Jody, when you are bitter, when you use harsh words, when you slander, when you do evil behavior, it makes me sad. Get rid of it. And this is the call for all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's a radical cut with the past. It's revolution, not an evolution. We need to live out our fresh start. And that is the call. And that I understand for all of us, if you're listening carefully, there'll be something where you're thinking, ooh, I know what I did last week. Or it might be, I know all the things I did last week. Stop it. God's saying stop it. Just stop it. And so I wonder, what is your after picture like? When you've become a Christian, is it kind of one of those radical transformations? We said, before I was a Christian, I was like this, but now I'm a Christian, I'm like this. Totally different. Is that the case? Or is it the case that if a mate of yours saw you and they'd say, you say, oh, guess what? I've now had this born again experience. I'm now a follower of Jesus. They say, funny you mentioned that. You look just like you did five years ago and I knew you. Or would they say, What on earth has happened to you? You're so different now to what you were like. Ah, funny you mention it. Follow Jesus. Because this is what life is supposed to be like. Verse 32. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That is what life is to be like. I, I love it when we, we hear about how Christian people have acted in a certain way that people say, wow, they're just really kind. They're really tender-hearted. Uh, they seem to forgive each other differently to others. Forgiveness is a really big thing. 
When you become a follower of Jesus, you're forgiven. God says, no matter what you've done, I've forgotten about it. Don't worry, don't worry about it anymore. I'm not worrying about it anymore because I've dealt with it by nailing it to the cross of Christ. You're forgiven. And you can see why Jesus keeps talking about how it is that if, if you can't forgive others, then it's like, have you really been forgiven? Have you really got it? Are there people right now, as I ask you this, are there people right now where you think, you, I, need to, I need to forgive that person? Can you think of somebody right now? Do you need to give them a call? Do you need to talk to them? See, we forgive others because we're forgiven by God. I know some unbelievers who, who have not been forgiven by Jesus. Absolutely not. And I, and I see the way that they relate to others. And there's, there's some conflict in their relationship. Forgiveness is never, ever an option. It's like, I'm not going to forgive them. Get lost. No way. When I hear that, I think, whoa, really? How can you not forgive others? And I think, ah, Praise God, by his Holy Spirit, he's actually helped me understand forgiveness. Not that I'm totally good at it at all. But I tell you what, when you've been forgiven, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you, you actually think, I'm, I'm out of relationship with that friend at work or, or that, that colleague in the club or, or my family member. Or, and, and because of that, I feel like I need to be reconciled with them. See, that's a spirit thing from you, from God to you. Others say, forget it, I won't, even, I won't have anything to do with them ever again, and I'm happy about that. I'm happier that they never, ever call me. I'm happy that I never call them. See, ultimately, the reason why we live all this way that we've talked about tonight is because we've got the ultimate example. And that is, chapter 5, verse 1, imitate God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. See, we want to live this radically different life because we want to imitate God in everything we do. We should want to imitate God in every way. We were once his enemies, but we're now his children. So we want to be like him. That is why we do WWJD. We want to work out what Jesus would do because we want to be like Jesus. And this is how it looks. The final verse. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Our life is to be filled with love. If we have love for others, then all those other things that we've talked about tonight should just melt away, shouldn't they? Anger that, that turns to sin, um, theft, swearing and, and, and words that cut others down, all these other things. We want to do this because we want to be like Christ in every way. And what has he done for us? He has offered himself as a sacrifice. His love was more than words. He didn't just say, I love you. He died on the cross for us. And so if you truly want to know what Jesus would do, the answer is this. Die for your enemies. That's what Jesus did. That is WWJD in its fullness. 
It's a life of love. And so we do WWJD when we sacrifice our lives, when we think of others, not of ourselves, when we love others, not ourselves. And when we look at our WWJD bracelet or whatever it is, we will be driven to love others sacrificially, especially our enemies. That is the ultimate right thing to do. It's the ultimate imitation of Christ. Let me pray. Gracious, loving Father, we thank you so much for your clear word to us in the scriptures tonight. And thank you for this time to just sit here and hear you. And we pray, Lord, as we've heard you, we would not just be hearers of your word, that we would be doers. And that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit to deal with some of those things we've talked about tonight. You know how hard it is. Jesus, you know what it's like to be tempted to do these things because you were tempted. And so we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would strengthen us this week to be more like Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.